the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I'm so glad he did this for me. Have you been in that stage? Now here's what I think is quite interesting. I think often that the Lord, like he did with Abraham, tell him this is what's going to happen, and all of a sudden he sees he can't, body's dead, etc. We start out with I know, but the Lord takes us through stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, until we get to stage five, and then we finally say, I knew he could do it, he did it, look what he did, and we now do what? Glorify the Lord. And some of you right now are at those various stages, and I would like for you to just hang on to the Lord and remember the illustration of that bird of paradise seed and how that soon God is going to do some great things in your life. Not a name it and claim it. It may not be exactly what you want, but when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and say, he did that for me. He provided for me. Well, that's when we believe in his word. He does what he says he's going to do. Here's the third fact of faith, and that is what we might call faith during impossible situations. Faith during impossible impossible situations. Let me read this passage to you. It says here, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, which means he faced the facts. He looked at his own body. Remember, Abraham is so old, he, he's impotent. His wife passed menopause, so therefore they cannot uh, you know, have a child. So he looks at his own body. He faces the fact. He says, now as good as dead, he's not dead, but as good as dead sexually, at least uh, to be able to procreate, he's dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of, his, of Sarah's womb. So he looked at this impossible situation. So what's going to happen next? Now here's what I think is very interesting. Look up here if you will. Where we are in Romans is a very brief commentary of the longer story that's found in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, and chapter 21. All on these promises about Abraham. So there's a lot in the Old Testament. Paul is kind of scooching it all together in this little story right over here. So when we look over here, now we see that he's beginning to have this faith. It's unwavering faith, and he's looking at the Lord, and he says, in an impossible situation, he's going to have faith. Now, this is what's so cool. His name began with Abram, all right? And that just means blessed, all right? Blessed father, all right? But before he had his first child, before he had any children... The Lord gave him a new name, and Abraham took that new name. And you know what that new name was? It went from Abram to Abraham, and that meant father of many nations. I'm making it real simple. So what he did is he's saying, it's impossible, but I believe God's promise. I believe his word. I am now going to act upon this in a very special way. So he took on the name Abraham, father of many. Now, I want you to just for a moment think about that. He goes over to Sarah. 
And he says, Sarah, guess what? My name is going to be Abraham, father of many nations. And here she is, this very elderly lady who knows she cannot have children. All of her functions for childbearing and reproducing are, are basically shut down and gone. It's very, that's his life. That's happened to every woman. She looks at that, looks at her old man, says, you can't tick either. So I get it, all right? So you're going to tell me you're going to be the father? So how in the world is this going to be? I can only imagine if I was Abraham. The other people around my tents, that my neighbors, they wouldn't say, hey, that's great, keep trusting, keep trusting. He was basically all alone when he had that circumstance that looked like there was no way he could get out of it. Let me ask you this question. Have you been in a situation that looked so impossible for you to get out of and you didn't have anybody around you either to give you encouragement? Sometimes when you're like that, all you can do then is not look down, but look up. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when King David, well, before he was really king, when he was out there running around with his guys, and when he did, a group of enemy came in and took all of his flocks and his wives and his children, and they're out to try to get him back. All of his friends around him were out there to kill him. And David was so down, it said in Scripture that what he did is that he encouraged himself in the Lord. My son gave me permission to share this with you, Joe. I hope someday you'll be able to meet him. He lives on the mainland. Joe was in some very, very challenging places that there was absolutely nowhere he could go. So he said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I said, Son, I can give you some nice words, some little platitudes. I can say, boy, Joe. You'll make it. You've done it before, blah, blah, blah. I said, But what I'd like for you to do is I would like for you to open up your Bible... And I'd like you to read Psalm 103, because he had some enemies in his life. I said, I want you to read Psalm 103. Then I want you to do a study with me on Psalm 119. And so we went through a study together. And then he spent hours, because he had the time, to just read through Scripture. Do you know what happened to Joe? He called me back about three days later. He says, I can't tell you the peace that I have in my life. How did that happen? I said, did you make any changes in your life? He said, no, not really. He said, the only thing that I did is I immersed myself in God's word. And so I'd like to tell you folks right here that if any of you are going through something that feels like it's absolutely impossible, it may not be that you need more faith. It just may mean that your faith needs to be strengthened. And your faith will be strengthened by getting into God's word and reading it. Now let me make another suggestion. Many of you are so blessed because you have the technology such as tablets and phones. And, and my phone, I don't know, I must have 60 or 70 translations. And I'm pretty glad that I have that. Many times I'm out and about and I don't want to all my, go through all my Facebook, who's doing what, where and when and why. Because often when I do, I read what they write and I feel so, man, my life is so boring. Look what they're doing, you know. So I, I look at that. I say, so what I'll do is I'll go to one of my translations and I'll read through that on my phone or on my tablet. I don't do it on my computer. Well, I said all that now to say this. While I encourage you to do that when you're out and about, I do pray that as a suggestion as your pastor, that you would get an old-fashioned, leather-bound Bible where you can hear the rustle of the pages, smell the leather, open it up, flip back and forth, underline it, and then every day you will have your alone time with God. That will strengthen your faith. Number four says that his faith was unwavering. 
And I like that because I've given you a little bit in the text. So if you will, get your Bibles out if you don't have them or look here at your notes. I want to show you four statements here about it. His faith was unwavering. Against hope, remember what we learned? He believed. I like that. Even though it looks like it's hopeless, he still believed. Without becoming weak in faith. I like that. Without becoming weak, unwavering in faith. He did not waver, number three, in unbelief. But he grew strong in faith. And finally it says, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Boy, if you don't have that underlined in your Bible, I want you to take a moment, get your pen out and underline that. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Now let's go to number five. Faith that acts. This is a little bit longer passage here about faith that acting. But it's a very important one. Up here you'll notice this chair. I want to show you about the importance of faith that acts. In this passage, the Lord gave Abraham a promise. It wasn't enough for Abraham to say, I heard you, Lord, or I know you, Lord. It was a a promise that he had to actually, willfully choose to accept that it was truth and place his full weight of confidence in that. So he had to act on that truth. So he had to put his faith to action by choosing to believe. Now let's go to the passage and then I'll show you the chair illustration. It says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. That's in verse 3. Then he goes on to say, With respect to the promise, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to the Lord. By the way, that's one way to show how your faith is getting stronger. When you go through a problem, you don't yell out a curse word. When you go through an issue, you let out a praise word. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. So all of that is surrounding faith, faith in the promise, Faith in God's word, faith in God, no matter how impossible the situation was, unwavering faith, he had and he acted upon it. All right. Now watch carefully. And I want to speak to those who are on the side of the journey of not yet certain of having eternal life and of going to heaven. So watch carefully. You see this chair right here? I'm going to let this chair for just a moment represent Christ. Now stay with me. Let's say that in my life... um, I looked at this little thing over here and um, I looked at you and I said, what is that? And you'll say, now Stan, uh, it's going to be a very long life if all you had to do is stand until you fell down to go to sleep. This chair is made so you would be comfortable. This chair is made so you can rest when you sit in this chair. This chair is such a good chair, it's got four legs and it's balanced, so it's not going to tip over. This chair is so strong and powerful that we have seen... All kinds of people, men, women, boys and girls, skinny people and not so skinny people, I'm being kind. Other kind of people all sit in this chair right here. They all sat in this chair. If you want to rest, if you want to have peace, if you want to be comforted, you want to sit in that chair. So what you've done is you have now sold me on the value of this chair. You've used the illustration of others. Now in my mind, I intellectually know enough to say this is a chair. It's made to hold people up. Now, my question to you is, am I trusting this chair to hold me up even though I know that? Am I doing that? No, obviously. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. Now, let's see. All right, it's a chair. It's meant to hold me up. 
This is going to represent Christ. It will, he will hold me up. So now, am I trusting this chair to hold me up right now? Am I trusting this chair to hold me up? Okay, let's say that uh, one of the kids came over here and he jerked the chair out from under me. What would happen to me then? I'd fall right down. Now watch this. That's very much like people saying, I need to trust in Christ, but I also have to trust myself, either good works, rituals, rules, regulations, and Christ. So I'm not really fully trusting the rules because I think it's also Christ. I need Him, but it's not fully trusting Christ because it's also that. So I'm not in the chair. I'm not out of the chair. I'm just kind of all messed up. And there are a lot of people messed up. Now let me do this. Am I trusting this chair now to hold me up? So if one of the kids got real frisky and grabbed the foot or the leg on this chair, it would wobble and I would go what? Crashing down. Because all my weight, all my confidence is in this chair. I believe it to be a chair. I believe it can hold me up. I've seen others be held up by it. I know this is true. Now I'm activating my faith by placing my faith in this chair. And now it's taking all of my trust. Now here's the thing. It's still only a chair. So this chair, yep. It could crumble, but Jesus won't. I remember one time I was at a youth meeting and they had those metal folding chairs. The room was packed with junior high kids. And I did this chair illustration with them. I got up on the chair like this. This is a true story. Carol was there. And the girl here in front, as I finished my illustration, took the leg of the chair and just jiggled it because I said something about it. Junior high kids, you don't give them any ideas like that. They just they jiggled it. That thing folded right up. And my whole life passed before me. I was trying to grab drapes and lamps and everything. And I could still hear the kids saying, He's coming down! He's coming down! And I did come down. All right. But when you place your faith in Christ, He will never let you down. Now, let's go back over that list. You have to believe that God made a promise to you. That if you trust in Him, you'll have everlasting life. He has. Where is that found? some word out there that someone kind of shares to you, or the absolute veracity of Scripture, the inerrant Word of God, the sufficiency of God's Word. God spoke those words to you, not some man. Now let me pause. You can only believe me to the degree that I can support what I say from God's Word. So whatever you're hearing from me, it's a promise from God if it's found in God's Word, not me. Also go back to the list. In impossible situation, there's no good deed I do myself that can get me into heaven. Unwavering faith simply means it's not faith in Christ and faith in myself. It's faith totally in the person and the work of Christ for me. But all of that doesn't do anything until I activate, activate my faith and place it in Jesus Christ. If you got that much, say, uh-huh. Now let me speak to those who know Christ as Savior. This list will still work. It's not just for those to get saved. God's promises to all of us. We need to know is it God's promises or somebody else making a promise to us. It's in God's word. When you go through impossible situations, I want you to remember no matter how much rain is right here, the sun is still shining above the clouds so there is hope for you with unwavering faith and that you will act upon the trusting of God's word and give God your calendar, watch this, as well as give God your roadmap, so that he can still guide and direct your life. Because remember, it's still always about him and not us. So now, how do I apply this? What's our application for today? Well, 
I like this verse here, verse 23 and 24, because it talks about the way of salvation. It says, not for his sake only, not for Abraham, Paul is writing, not because of what happened to Abraham those many millenniums ago, he says, but it's also for our sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. So the promise that he made to Abraham and he kept that promise. Can I be a little funny here? We're almost done. I'm ready to land the plane. Someone shared an illustration with me to prove that God kept his promise with the Jews. And here's what they suggested I do. They suggested that when you came in here today that I'd hand each one of you a bagel. You know what a bagel is? How many of you know what a bagel is? Okay. It's a round, dried out donut basically. Okay. All right. And you put cream cheese on it or whatever else. Some people really like that. And you're probably wondering, why would I give you a bagel? Because as I did my research on it, I found that most people will attribute bagels to go back to Jewish people. That somehow it kind of started with Jewish people. That not, not in the Bible, but just with Jewish people. So Jewish people are the ones that, that kind of started with it. It started in Poland. It worked its way in Israel and then all the way here to New York. And now it's all over the world. People have bagels and they kind of go back to the Jewish people. Now you're saying, why in the world would you have done that? Here it is. Look up here is to let you know that God keeps his promise. No matter how wicked the Jews got or disobedient, no matter how much the world has oppressed the Jewish people, you can't kill them all off. Their civilization will never be gone. It may be different, but it'll never be gone and it will rise again. Now, why am I telling you that? The promise that God gave to Abraham still exists today. And now he says that wasn't just for Abraham. The promise is to all of you who with that childlike faith will believe in Christ just like Abraham received the righteousness of God to go to heaven with. You now have the righteousness of God to go to heaven. So the same was good for the goose, good for the gander, good for Abi, good for you and me. Okay? I think even Sarah's thrown in there too. But anyway, number two, in the basis of our salvation. And I like this part because uh, Luther had something really neat to say about it. He said the whole of Christianity is comprehended in this last verse. He says, He who is delivered over, that would be Christ, Jesus who is delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So it again all points to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now my dear friend, we've now concluded the main section of Scripture using the life of Abraham and his faith to identify how that we can have faith in the same Jehovah Yasha, God who saves Jesus Christ. And just as Abraham looked forward to the future as having many children, and from him all the nations of the world would be blessed through a Savior, we look back not only to the promise, but to the cross. And we look to him by faith. We believe that Jesus was born, he died, he rose again, and that childlike faith in him and him alone gives us eternal life. And we stand free and forgiven before him. So Christmas is to celebrate the birth of our Savior, who's all part of this story that we started out with at 10,000 feet in a glider. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. It might be good for you to kind of go down through your life and to maybe try to pick out the time where you came to the Lord and you honestly admitted to Him that you needed a Savior. And then you knew that Jesus Christ was the Lord who died and rose again and you got that part. But now you are placing your faith in Christ. Your belief in Him. Where then at that moment 
He put on your eternal heavenly account salvation. If you don't know that you've done that, or you think you've done it, but you're not sure if you have, why don't you today seal the deal? Chuck Swindoll so wonderfully wrote, Man owed God a debt for his transgressions that he could not repay. However, the Lord, who is both just and merciful, sent his Son to pay man's debt. Jesus Christ took the bill in his hand and paid it in full on Calvary. The payment was made by his shed blood. Three days after he was buried in a tomb, Jesus rose from the dead and presented the bill as paid to his Father. The Lord stamped it, paid in full, and gave his Son a receipt. Thus, any person who believes that Jesus died for his sin and rose from the dead for his justification is secure forever. How do we know? The Son has the receipt to prove it. So maybe you'd like to say this to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I cannot get to heaven myself. Therefore, I want to thank you for going to the cross and to give to me eternal life. So I'm just telling you what I'm doing right now. I am trusting in you. Dear Father, I know my good works won't get me to heaven. Even my prayers won't get me to heaven. But my little bit of faith that I have in Christ, in Christ alone, gives me your righteousness so I stand clean before you. So Lord, thank you for what you've done. Now my friend, I pray that in some measure you're having this genuine mental transaction where you're transferring your faith from yourself or something else and you're placing it in the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Now, if you do that on the authority of God's word, he says, put on your account forever is God's righteousness. So when you stand before him at death, it doesn't matter how you lived your life. It does matter how he lived his life. And the father said to the son that it was fully satisfied payment for sin. So would you simply place your faith in Christ? Now, if you've done that and you know you're going to heaven, I'd like to pray for you. Not that you've done it before, but today was the day of your day of, we'll call it reckoning. It was your day to understand that you were born again and you'd like for me to pray for you. Raising your hand, walking an aisle, me praying for you, filling out a card, none of those good things will ever get you to heaven. When I pray for you, I won't have you stand up, say your name, or embarrass you in any way. When I pray for you, my prayer will not get you into heaven. In fact, you'd already be heaven-bound and have eternal life because you trusted Christ before you ever raised your hand. All you're doing is letting me know you did that so I can say, hey, welcome into God's family. I'd like to pray for you. Would you like me to pray for you? I'd like to pray for you. So is there anyone here today that's ready to say, yes, today is the day that I place my faith alone in Christ, that I have that kind of faith, in God's promise, His Word, under the most difficult circumstances, unwavering, and I've acted upon that by placing my faith in Christ. If you would, with heads bowed, eyes closed, would you slip up your hand right now today if today is the day you're trusting Christ? Would you do that? Anyone at all? Christians, how about you? There's a couple of things we could do with this message. The first thing we can do is celebrate to the Lord one more time. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this grace. Lord, I thank you that you'd save me, a sinner, and give to me eternal life. So I celebrate you and what you've done. That's the first thing you could do. The second thing you could do 
is you could commit yourself, especially during this season, to see contact as opportunity for you to probe people with this wonderful message of salvation by faith alone. Would you do that? Whether it's writing a note, a Christmas card with a track in it, engaging a conversation about this in a very kind, gentle, but yet courageous way, and probe them to the point of maybe helping them come to a decision if they're ready. Can you do that? You that are Christians realize that just as we were saved by faith, our Christian life is lived by faith. We don't follow rules, rituals, and regulations in order to be spiritual. It's allowing Christ's life to live out from us. And by choosing, by that active will of faith, of surrender to Him, boy, our whole life takes on new meaning. And as we read Scripture, we now follow what it has to say. So maybe some of you can use this Christmas time as a new beginning for you as well. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can know we have eternal life, that our faith, as small as it is, like a grain of mustard seed, or even as a little child that hasn't really developed much faith, but just a, a little bit of faith, we can put it in our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we do, and I pray that we never forget the seriousness of it, but also the expense of it, of what it cost you. And that, Father, with that now, and the power we have in you, that we will now share it with others so that they too can know that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.